Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gasola, joined by Rania Kalik. Uh, it's it's good to be here. Uh, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on the past week, but we'll get right into it. Uh, it seems like it ended uh, with, I have mixed feelings, right? Because we still see police beating people on the streets during these protests. They're massive protests, but we saw that all four of those officers that were involved in the murder of George Floyd are going are going to be charged. And importantly, there's a opportunity or an opening to escalate a second degree murder charge to first degree murder if Benjamin Crump, who is the attorney for George Floyd's family uh, and the attorney general's office um, and others in the community are able to find better evidence that would prove premeditation during a trial. Uh, but Attorney General Keith Ellison is being very careful and he knows the history and difficulty that comes in the system from prosecuting cops. He knows that defense attorneys are really sophisticated and he wants to make sure that he doesn't uh, go too far and uh, overcharge or bring forward charges that wouldn't be able to stick during a trial and then leave the community disappointed that the officers were able to escape accountability. So what are, what are you thinking right now about how our, our week ended with everything we've been going through? I don't think it's really over. I think the explosion of police violence across the country the last week and just like the endless stream of videos that we've seen uh, have made people angrier. Um, I think they're probably going to keep being protests. It looks like New York City is just in content pro a constant protest mood. Um, It'll probably die down in other places because the long-term protests just aren't sustainable because people get tired, people get burnt out. However, there's also a situation right now where a lot of people are working from home or don't have jobs. So I think that might also contribute to these lasting a bit longer. Um, I think also you're going to see like the sort of, you're already seeing it, the NGO kind of style groups, the civil society groups are coming in and sort of like taking over. Um, which makes the protest a bit more theatrical and less, um, you know, less like vandalism and property destruction, um, which tends to de-escalate things and make them less crazy. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Sometimes it's annoying, actually, <laughs> but it happens and you're starting to see that now. You know, I saw it happen in Ferguson and Baltimore, where once those groups come in, like the people who actually live there and are angry sort of stop attending. Um, but I also think you're, you know, I think there's something else interesting going on where there's been these protests across the country of massive gatherings during a pandemic when we've been told for the last three months not to gather um, mm -hmm. and to stay at home. And so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next week or two if there's a spike over the protests. I mean, I, you know, I've been watching the videos and people seem to be really responsible in terms of wearing masks. Like everyone seems to be wearing a mask, which is good, but they're also getting tear gas and pepper sprayed which makes you cough everywhere. Um, they're being kettled by police and like arrested and put in paddy wagons and, um, and like grouped together and taken to jail where you also can't distance from each other. So like, I don't know. I think that like there could be a spike from this. If there's not, then this whole lockdown was bullshit. Like, yeah. seriously. Well, I, and I think one thing for us to talk about is, uh, well, since you're there, we'll, 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 we'll go there, which is, they're probably going to blame the left if there is a spike in the pandemic. Yeah. And, I, and I imagine that there's going to be 
um, a lot of punditry around scolding people for protesting. But um, I actually, believe it or not, this might be an unusual source to have this quote from, but uh, someone had said that they were concerned about people going out to protest and it was like, okay, are they no longer concerned about the pandemic? And I think it was Ayman Moheldeen, who's on MSNBC, who was like, well, I think they're just more concerned about the pandemic of racism in this country. <laughs> right. I mean, I've, I've heard that and I understand, like, I understand why people are going out. Absolutely. And if I wasn't, you know, staying with my family and like around my parents who are old, especially my dad, who's not in great health, I, you know, I'd be the first one there also to cover it, but it's been difficult to kind of walk from the sidelines. And I think I, but like that said, if I lived alone, I would totally be there. Um, but that's not the case for me right now. I mean, I mean, I hope people are being responsible in that respect. Um, it's definitely a more responsible crowd that's going out to these protests than we're going to do anti-lockdown. I need to get a haircut protests. Like mm -hmm. it's definitely a far more responsible crowd. And, you know, I don't think we saw that big of a spike from the lockdown protesters from as far as I could tell, like you are outside, outside as, as well ventilated as it gets. So we'll have to wait and see. And then of course, if there is a spike, you can't just blame it on the protests because it's also like all of these states have been doing these like phase one reopenings and phase two reopenings. So it's also coinciding with that. And you're much more likely to get this virus in an indoor setting where there's less ventilation. So if you're going to restaurants, if you're going to get your haircut, if you're going to a nail salon, which have also been opening at the same time. So it's like, yeah, they'll probably just end up blaming the left and protesters, but also like, the, the areas that we're protesting the most are black communities, which mm -hmm. were already hot, you know, like the, uh, which are already being disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. I mean, we know now that George Floyd actually had it. Um, and, uh, you know, he was asymptomatic, but he did get, he had it and he knew he had it starting like April. He got, he, he got diagnosed April 3rd or something. Um, and he still tested positive after he was killed. So, this is something that's impacted the black community more. So like, it's like, if you imagine these people knowing that there's this virus going around that's affecting them more than the rest of the country, yet they're still out protesting, obviously they have something to protest against, you know? Like yeah. that's a risk that people are weighing and they feel really strongly that they need to be in the streets right now. Yeah. So we always do this give and take where it's like, uh, I, uh, I'm the hope-filled one, and you're kind of the more cynical one. Uh, but I, I just thought it was important for people to know who are listening this sh to the show this week, uh, some of the things that seem to have been gained in Minneapolis before we maybe stray into a more general kind of discussion about what might be happening next and talking about, uh, you know, what these riots mean or, or, or what the rebellion means in this country, um, to use a better term. Uh, so obviously all of those officers um, were charged, but we saw a civil rights investigation is going to be launched into the Minneapolis Police Department, uh, which uh, is, is going to be documentation. Uh, to me, that's like what we saw uh, the Justice Department do when Obama was president. And uh, you know, as, as much as those didn't lead to further accountability or prosecutions for officers, it still gave us a lot of information and it's official confirmation of what activists were saying in many cases. You know, there were things um, involving, I think like the Chicago Police Department shooting dogs and 
um, you know, the kinds of, uh, you know, things they were doing inflicting upon children in Chicago. I remember that for the police department in my community that was confirmed by the investigations. You also see that the school board in Minneapolis voted unanimously to remove police from public schools. Um, and that's something that I think is going to have, I think Portland, Oregon is following suit um, and is going to remove officers from schools. Uh, so uh, while there's still a lot to be done, it does seem like what has happened with the rebellion has opened it up. And I also throw it to you in an even more provocative way to say that we wouldn't see these moves happening if it hadn't been for the fact that there was this threat of looting and that there was this threat of people going out to inflict property damage. And I think that's something for people to really consider because peaceful protests were no longer getting anything done. Peaceful protests were boring. I mean, I don't think that CNN would have all of the images of peaceful protests on a nightly basis monitoring what's happening city by city if there wasn't this threat that they felt could happen at any time of people looting or vandalizing storefronts. Right, right. That anger definitely in the past has led to uh, people in power actually doing something because then like, you know, once businesses are being looted and threatened, then it's like, oh, this is serious. We can't have people doing this. We need to like address at least some of their grievances. Um, so yeah, I agree with that. I don't think that these officers would have been arrested had people not like rioted for a week. Um, that said, like riots are not pleasant, you know? Uh, it's not, it's not a pleasant, it's not pleasant. It's not been people, it's a, it's a mixed feeling even for people who live in neighborhoods because nobody wants to wake up and see their neighborhood burnt down. Right. Uh, so like, it's like, it didn't have to happen like that. So for people who are like, oh, riots and looting, it's like, well, you have to look at the conditions that led to this. And if you don't want this to happen, then you need to fix these conditions. You know, that said, I think there was something interesting that happened the past week. I think that like these protests, there's a lot of sympathy for them in the mainstream in an unusual way that you don't usually see. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do because Trump is president and they see these as like an anti-Trump kind of thing, right? Which is fine if they want to play it like that. But what I found interesting this last week is how once Trump started playing with the idea of deploying the military, which he actually did in Washington, D.C., which is the only place yeah. you can actually do that, you saw, I mean, if you were watching CNN, they were like horrified. All of these mainstream pundits were horrified. Um, commentators were horrified. Legal experts were horrified. And they should be. That was a really scary moment. I was like, holy shit, this guy's going to deploy the military across the country. This is insane. Uh, that said, like, I mean... I, w I wish those people would hold on to that fear and try to like remember that the next time the US threatens to deploy the military or bomb another country. Because like these people seem to think that it's okay when it happens over there and it's never gonna come back here. But yeah. like that's always a possibility when you're constantly making war abroad. And you know what? Police in America are like a military. They dress like a military, they behave like a military. The only thing they don't do is instead of shooting real bullets, they shoot rubber bullets, which can still kill and maim, but to a lesser degree. So, like, it's just, I mean, you can't have a country that forever, you know, goes around dominating the world um, at the barrel of a gun and then expect it to never come back home. 
Yeah. And, you know, what's been really creepy about what we've been seeing in D.C. is the fact that they deployed. And uh, I had a conversation with John Kiriakou um, and uh, we were talking about the Bureau of Prisons deploying their own forces on the streets of D.C. Um, I, I, you've been following that, Rania? Yeah, they're like yeah. it's like they've deployed every department. But yeah, this was this but, I think this is the first time I've seen that happen. This has never happened for like having them come out on the street and police protest. They're typically to put down uprisings or rebellions within the prisons. Um, right. And and so and the most creepiest aspect is that they're on the street and people are asking them, "Who are you with?" And they won't tell you, and they have no identifiable markings on them, so you can't figure out who they are. And then someone asked, are you with, when they had done some reporting and figured out who they would likely be with, they said, so are you with the Bureau of Prisons? And one of them told a reporter, maybe. Like, just, you know, totally flip. Like, it's no big deal. Like, we don't owe you. But I suppose I shouldn't make it unique to the Bureau of Prisons because it's common. I mean, we've seen reporting about how the New York police are covering their own badges um, using, um, there's some kind of, I think they have some kind of band that they've put over that was supposedly in solidarity with COVID-19, officers who died from COVID-19. Um, but now they're opportunistically using those to shield their identity while they're beating the shit out of protesters. And what's interesting while all this is happening is while it's being framed in like a partisan lens where it's all Donald Trump, it's all Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is making it so much worse. I mean, he's done nothing but escalate, and the police have done nothing but escalate. And it is really frightening to see how much control police have. It's almost like they act on their own sometimes, like they're their own entity apart from like local governments. But that said, you look at what Democratic politicians in all of these states where they're the governors or they're the mayors are doing. And they're the ones deploying the police. Like, it isn't just a Trump problem, right? We had a lot of people killed by police under Obama. In fact, we had two cities, like, explode in rage over that. We had Ferguson and uh, Baltimore. Um, and also, at, at one point, Minneapolis, because Jamar Clark, I believe, was killed in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And that was in, like, 2015. That was under Obama. And there were, like, huge protests. Um, so this is an ongoing problem, right? This militarization police, uh, police is an ongoing problem. And when you see New York City, Bill de Blasio, yeah. who's the mayor, applaud the restraint of the New York City Police Department a day after they drove an SUV into protesters. And when you see like Andrew Cuomo yesterday say protesters have been disrespectful of the NYPD when video after video shows them clubbing and beating and like just rioting. Police are the ones rioting across the country, particularly in New York City. It's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Is there a gun being held to your head or are you actually this pro-cop and this pro-police state? Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, the thing I'm worried about is that uh, the commissioners of these police departments, well, I'll take in particular uh, the NYPD, uh, his his last name's O'Shea. Um, he's been on television. Uh, he did this PR thing where the NYPD commissioner met with, um, I believe it was the brother of George Floyd. Um, and he's been talking like they're supportive of the charges of cops. 
there's a lot of police departments that seem to be exploiting this to whitewash their department's uh, activities in their own communities. Uh, We're seeing that the consensus is not unique. I mean, this isn't a democratic thing. It is is incredible that the video, I, I suppose it's a credit to the Black Lives Matter movement that finally we have a video where both Democrats and Republicans look at it and they say, oh, that's gone too far. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. I'm not sure that we would have seen the bipartisan consensus back uh, in Bert, around Bert, like if we go back to 2014, I don't know if we would have been there where people would have accepted that George Floyd was murdered by these officers. But I noticed that uh, I, I've been watching a lot of CNN just because they seem to have a lot of reporters throughout the country and can go back and forth between the scenes very quickly. And I, I stay away from Chris Cuomo like the plague because he's so obnoxious. But I've, I've been tuning in to like Don Lemon deliberately because I just find it interesting um, what's been happening with his show. I think there's a lot of contradictions that have been brought out through his coverage because there's positives and negatives to how um, they handle this coverage. And so he finally got the NYPD commissioner to come on the show and talk to him for an interview. But then that same night, they didn't do any reporting on the ground from New York City. And that was a night that they were that they were terrorizing people, um, and you were you you were seeing that uh, the NYPD has developed this tactic that is essentially like terrorism. I mean, it starts out where there's all about uh, a dozen or twenty, let, let's say a few dozen cops that are around a protest, and then it slowly escalates to a hundred, to two hundred, to three hundred before they outnumber everyone there, and there's nowhere for you to go. You might be trapped on a bridge, you're in an intersection, and suddenly you find that 20 to 30 people are arrested, including organizers. Right, yeah, this is a tactic that NYPD has been developing. Like we've seen this happen in the past um, and we're seeing it happen again. Like we, I mean, I recall, like there's been so many instances of the Brooklyn Bridge, right? Where the NYPD has corralled people and then they're stuck there for like a few hours. Um, And then they arrest like hundreds at once. And that's what's been happening. And then also there's people who have even like been pro-cop who are like tweeting out like, oh my God, I just got beat by the cops, right? Like, it's like, they're just like doing it indiscriminately at this point. Um, and you've, you've got the, you've got like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I also, another thing the mainstream press hasn't been doing, also not covering things like that, despite all of their resources is, I don't know if this is because of the virus, but they haven't really been interviewing people. Have you noticed that? Like when they're reporting from the ground, I haven't seen that many like, you know, uh, you know, box pops where they like stick the microphone in someone's face. Yeah. Um, and there I were more hear. earlier. There were more earlier. Uh, the other thing that like really bothered me was when you saw vehicles that were being damaged and set on fire, we would get like this, the story of this vehicle. Like they were basically treating like police SUV vehicle, like, like it was a human. <laughs> it was like <laughs> vehicle was bought in so and so year and it had a nickname like no i watched uh, I, I watched 2 hours of coverage from LA where they just kept the camera on one single police suv and it was insanity like it was burning there was yeah, like one well, thing burning they but they followed that, but they followed it from the tires popping to the the last embers that were simmering as it smoldered from a fire that was set off 
Uh, but there still were like, again, but I think there's still questions that because of where they're placed in the establishment media, they don't know to ask. Like you and I back like last week, I remember we talked about, okay, well maybe the police wanted to deliberately burn down that Minneapolis precinct station. Maybe they were like, we get a new police station. It's going to be great. We can blame all of the protesters for this violence. Uh, that scene in LA that I'm referring to um, is maybe meaningless now in the scheme of what's happened over the last um, 10 days, but uh, they were in a situation where they were not able to get the protesters to obey them and back up, and they were beating people with batons, and it still wasn't moving the line back, but they were by this vehicle, and all of a sudden it went up in flames, which led me to wonder, you know, did the police set that vehicle on fire? Because the moment that they set one of their vehicles on fire or the moment that it went up in flames, we'll just say, because I don't know who started it, but let's say it just went up all of a sudden. That was the greatest crowd dispersal tool of the afternoon. Um, and no reporter thinks to ask the question, well, who started that fire? Can we find video? Can we find some, like there's all kinds of people there. Some they're, just stenographer. they're just stenographers yeah. at the end of the day for authority. Yeah. That's what they are. Um, they have no interest in digging any deeper. And, you know, like I, I just, I watching the mainstream media too, like they're not showing the videos we're seeing on social media exactly. either. Like we're seeing all these insane videos on social media, like on, on CNN and MSNBC, they're showing the show of force by police and like really beautiful, nice photos that you see where you see like military police lined up. Um, and it's like, that looks kind of scary, but they're not showing you like the videos we're seeing of police just like kicking people, body slamming people, like kicking old people. There's like a video going around now. I think it's in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. I'm sure you've probably seen it. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. I just choked. <laughs> of like, of like maybe like a hundred police officers, what looks like a hundred police officers all in riot gear, like huddling and walking, like they're going to do something horrible. And there's this old man and they just like knock him down and then leave him on the ground bleeding. And yeah. they're like call him sick, but nobody does anything to help them. Yeah. And there's like so many videos like this. It's like horrifying. I like can't watch it anymore. At this point, it's just like, but you're not seeing it. You're not seeing it. So like, I think there's probably also gonna be like, there's also probably a generational gap in how people are, are perceiving what's happening because people who are like our age and younger are on Twitter and on Instagram and on and like are like watch on Facebook and watching these things happen. And then people who are older are like watching the official news channels and hearing Joy Reid say it's like a Russian and Chinese plot. <laughs> All you right. Know? So uh, let's, let's break here. And uh, then we're going to do 20 more minutes, about 20 more minutes for just the patrons of our show. So thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll be back next week with uh, another episode. To get access to the rest of the conversation that was recorded from the past week, go to patreon.com slash unauthorized disclosure, patreon.com slash unauthorized disclosure. There you will unlock hours of bonus content that has been recorded just for patrons who support the show. And you'll also have early access to upcoming episodes that we post every week.